Thanks, Claire. And in case you didn't get it, the uh, word for today is kindness. Kind. And so as we were driving in the car this morning, I had shared with Sarah and, and Trevor uh, what I was speaking on. And uh, then we're driving along, Sarah's on her phone, and she fairly yelped because she had looked on Instagram, and a friend of ours had reposted a saying, which you've maybe heard before, but it said, if speaking kindly to plants helps them grow, just think what speaking kindly to humans might do. <laughs> so I thought that was a good word to start this morning. How would you define kindness, anyway? What words would you use? Well, sometimes it's a little bit hard to put the words together to adequately uh, capture it, but, but we know it when we see it, and we certainly know it when we experience it. So um, Sarah and I actually got to experience kindness uh, in a very unusual place uh, about a week and a half ago. Uh, the location was the Canadian border crossing, Sumas into Abbotsford, and the kindness we experienced was from Canadian Customs. Believe it or not, it was amazing. Thank God for Canadian Customs. We were importing Sarah's dad's car. Uh, he'd just given it to us, and so we got all the paperwork together, everything we knew we had to do, and we arrived at the border, and of course, the, the guy at the, at the, the booth said, um, uh, yeah, you've received it as a gift, but you're gonna have to pay GST on the equivalent value, and so go inside. So we went inside and had the paperwork, and I've gotta say, um, the guy, at the counter was just so incredibly pleasant. Had this amazing demeanor. Apparently, Mother Teresa said that peace begins with a smile. And he did it, he had it. He, he said uh, he was gonna have to charge us GST, but he was going to try and find the uh, most reasonable estimate of what the car was worth. And so he was gonna look on Craigslist and kind of conflate and, and, and get the, the best deal. So we went and sat down, he worked away, worked away at his computer, and then he invited us back up. And uh, he gave us a very reasonable estimate. It was way lower than we expected, which was really good for paying GST. He wasn't harsh, he wasn't gruff, Instead, he was actually friendly. Friendly. So the pain of paying the GST was kind of minimized by his kindness. Now, a few days later, um, we discovered that uh, not only do you have to get it across the border, once it's in Canada, you've got to get it inspected, uh, both federally and provincially. And uh, if there's anything wrong with the car at all on the points that they're looking at, you will not pass. You have to pay this huge amount of money, uh, but they won't pass you, and you have to get it fixed, and then you bring it back, and you only have to pay half again. So we decided we really wanted to make sure that everything was there. And we looked at the windshield, which had to be perfect, and there were three rock chips in it. So in the meantime, Sarah's dad had canceled the insurance, and we quickly said, would you please reinstate the insurance? Because we need it anyway. And then uh, we drove the car back across the border and claimed the windshield on his insurance. So he had to pay a $100 deductible, which was way better than about the $2,000 we were gonna to have to spend on this side of the border. So we got back to the border, there was no problem uh, getting the car back in, because they'd already admitted it, but the guy at the booth again said, well, you've got work done on the car, uh, it only costs you 100 bucks, but it's actually worth about 2,000, we're gonna to have to pay you, uh, charge you GST on the new windshield. 
So we went back in, kindness, you say, yes, okay. So we went back inside and got to the cashier, and she was all ready to take the money on our credit card. And, um, and this border guard came up, and she said, uh, you know, um, well, she didn't say anything. We started in and said, let me tell you the story. And she said, well, I, I, I know your story. And we said, well, no, let, let us tell you. And we started in on it, and she said, don't worry, we're not charging you. Yes! <laughs> kindness. Kindness. So kindness, um, you know it when you experience it. You know it when you receive it. And you probably know it when you're not giving it out to other people too, right? Kindness is the fifth item in the list of the fruits of the Spirit that Paul writes out for us in Galatians 5. There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So these are characteristics of Jesus himself, uh, characteristics which the Spirit is wanting to work in our lives. And it's helpful to look at each of these items on the list, as we've been doing here at Granville, uh, individually to get the full nuance of the characteristics uh, that the Lord is wanting to work in us. But it's really important to note also that uh, when Paul starts this list, he says the fruit of the Spirit, which is singular. So all of these nine items become as this package uh, that the Lord is wanting to work in our lives. And indeed, with this characteristic of kindness particularly, I've got to say there's huge, huge overlap with a number of the other items. So just think about love, peace, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. These each in their own way are expressions of kindness, which becomes clear when we actually take a closer look at the word that Paul actually uses here that gets translated in our uh, text, which we'll look at, uh, or scriptures, many of which we'll look at shortly, as kindness or kind. Uh, Paul, of course, was writing in Greek, and the Greek word, here's your Greek lesson for this morning, is krestates. That's the word for kindness, and it originally, in classical Greek, describes something that was just simply useful. And so it then began to take on the meaning of something that was good, something that was suitable, something that was proper. When it got applied to people, it, um, it took on the meaning of goodness, of being honorable, of having a capacity for kindness, mildness. And in fact, the word had this nuance of friendliness. Don't you want to encounter people like that? Especially at the Canadian border. So the Greek word uh, that Paul uses in Galatians 5 actually got used 300 years before the time of Christ when the Old Testament scriptures in Hebrew and Aramaic got translated into Greek. And so like many words that we encounter in the New Testament, this particular Greek word which Paul uses as one of the fruits of the Spirit takes on uh, the flavor of the Old Testament, takes on the flavor of the Hebrew words that it translated. And this particular word is most often used in translating out of Hebrew into Greek, it's most often used to translate a little Hebrew word which is the word tov, which just simply means good. 
And as a result, this word is often used in the Greek translation, out of Hebrew into Greek, uh, it's often used in descriptions of God himself. So I want us to build up uh, an understanding of what this word means by looking at how uh, this word uh, got used in the Old Testament translations into Hebrews. So let me see if I can get this thing working. It's on, okay. Whew. Okay, let me go backwards. Sorry, you weren't supposed to see that. Um, This word gets used in a very, very familiar phrase from the Old Testament, which I bet you know, especially since you just saw it on the screen. But it's, give thanks to the Lord for he is... Yeah, once again. Give thanks to the Lord for he is... That's the word. His love endures forever. Uh, We find the word in uh, Psalm 106. It says verse 5, but that's wrong. It's verse 1. I printed it wrongly. Uh, It comes up identically in Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Uh, Again, the Greek word that gets used to translate this little Hebrew word is the word kind. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is kind. Jeremiah 33, verse 11. Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for he is good. He's kind. His love endures forever. Uh, Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Uh, So let me just remind you, uh, this word that translates the word good is the very same word that is used in the listing of the fruit of the Spirit for kindness. So already, we're beginning to get a sense of what this word actually implies, uh, the flavoring of it. Uh, It involves enduring love, just keeps on loving continually, faithfulness, these are parts of the nuance of kindness, but there's more. Psalm 69, 16, answer me, O Lord, out of the goodness of your love, out of the kindness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. Psalm 86, 5, you are forgiving and good. You're kind, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. So again, we're getting more of the flavor of this word kindness. Uh, It involves mercy. Mercy flavors this kindness of God. Forgiveness flavors this kindness of God. And then Psalm 145, uh, this wonderful uh, scripture, verse 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good. He's kind to all. He has compassion on all he has made. And so kindness involves being gracious, being compassionate, of being slow to anger, being rich in love, and having compassion on all. Now, we're getting this wonderfully rich, deep sense then of God himself, which is captured in this word, which, as it appears in the New Testament, is translated into English as kindness. Now, let me ask, don't you want to encounter a God like this? Isn't this the kind of God you want to encounter? who meets us with kindness even when our sin mounts up, even when our sin is thick and dark and black and real and weighty and can only be relieved from forgiveness. This is the kind of God we want to encounter. This is the God we do encounter with kindness. So different than what we might expect. Aren't we glad we have a God of kindness? Amen? 
Amen. So, when we then get to the New Testament, uh, this word, kindness, uh, before it ever gets applied to us, before it ever gets spoken about us, it's used again about God himself, and especially about the expression of his love toward us in Christ Jesus. Uh, This is a word that is used to express God's work of salvation in our lives. And Paul, who uses this word in the listing of the fruit of the Spirit, is the one who most often uses this word as a description of God. So I want you to listen again to this rich, wonderful passage uh, that Claire read for us earlier. Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 6. But because of his great love, remember we've heard in the Old Testament already, of his compassion, your love endures forever. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ God acted on our behalf beyond anything we could ever have expected, beyond anything that we deserved. It was while we were dead in transgressions, Paul says, which is another way of saying that we were actually at that point God's enemies, and yet he loved us. While we were living apart from his will, while we were living in opposition to him, while we were living in hostility to him, but even at that point his mercy was so rich toward us that he actually made us alive out of deadness, made us alive in Christ Jesus. And more than that, he raised us up with Christ, just like Jesus himself got raised from the dead, but not just to there, he raised us into the heavenly places where Christ himself is at the right hand of the Father. This is a demonstration of the immensity of God's goodness, the immensity of his grace, the immensity of his love, and it is all an expression of his kindness. That's our word. This is a rich, very weighty word. It's dense, it's multifaceted, it's vibrant, and it's alive with God's goodness. Uh, Paul uses this uh, word again in his letter to his friend Titus, uh, again, which Claire read for us, but let me highlight it again. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. So beyond anything we could ever have earned, he saved us, and it is an expression of his kindness. So don't you want to be embraced by God like that? You know, it's one thing to experience kindness at the Canadian border. It's another thing to experience kindness from the creator of the universe, the judge of all things. How good to have a God whose heart is filled with kindness toward us. Oh, praise God for the kindness he has expressed to us in Christ Jesus. So let me just pause, because it may very well be that many, many of us this morning need to experience the kindness of God afresh. Uh, We've come through a week, and we know that we have not been all that we wanted to be, let alone what God wanted us to be, uh, in our relationship with our spouse, our uh, family members, our co-workers, uh, in our neighborhood, uh, in our thought life, whatever it would be. And we need to know again that God is a God who views us with immense 
kindness expressed in Christ Jesus to wash us clean, to save us, to set us right. And let me just pause to say, too, that there may be some here this morning or listening in who have never actually entered into relationship with God. And perhaps you didn't know you could. Because God sees everything that you are, and you think, how can I even stand up? But the fact is, he's a God of kindness expressed to us in Christ Jesus. And he is extending kindness to you today, but we need to receive it. We need to say, yes, I want you to be the one that forgives me, sets me, sets me uh, straight, sets me on my feet in your presence, washes me clean. And so I invite you uh, this morning, even the quiet of right now, just pray and say yes to him. So this is all the wonder of how God himself uh, treats us. But having stepped into this kindness now, uh, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, uh, is wanting to create this same character quality in us, that we too might live expressing kindness to those around us. Now, if we've appreciated anything of the weight and the wonder of this word, we're going to understand that this is totally beyond ourselves, and we desperately need the power of the Spirit to actually live it out, which is what the Scripture tells us. This is the fruit of the Spirit, which He's wanting to work in us. But if He works it in us, what will it look like? What will it look like in our lives? So, I want us to take a look at several other passages in the New Testament uh, that get used uh, with this very same word to uh, instruct us as to how we're to live. And it seems to me, as I've been looking through these, there are three distinct ways in which kindness is to be expressed. So expressing kindness, first of all, happens to the undeserving. So listen to what Jesus himself said. This is Luke chapter 6. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So expressing kindness, first of all, means that it gets expressed to the undeserving. Um, have you ever had that mad scramble at Christmas time where you thought you had gotten all the gifts you needed to get? And then out of the blue, completely unexpectedly, somebody gives you a gift which is clearly uh, slightly pricey uh, that you'd not expected to get anything from them at all. It's a co-worker, it's a distant cousin. Uh, you weren't expecting it and you go, oh, great. <laughs> Now I've got to get something for them. They've earned a gift, and so you rush out and you get a gift. What I need to tell you is that when you do that, that is not an expression of kindness. It's an expression of obligation, right? Kindness is giving a, getting a gift and giving it to someone who would never, you would never consider, who would never consider gift, gifting you. Uh, you're getting one for someone that would never, ever give you one. In fact, all they do is send hate mail in your direction. Now, it's a trivial illustration, but how often do we actually live our lives kind of on the point system? And we kind of think through uh, how many points they've given and therefore what we need to give them. And rather than uh, 
treating others as we would like to be treated, we, we think, oh, how have they treated us? Okay, I've got to do that. And how hard is it to extend friendship to someone who has never extended friendship to us? All they've given is the cold shoulder. How hard is it to go out of, out of our way to actually serve a neighbor who never given us the time of day? How hard is it to speak well of somebody that you actually know is trashing you behind your back? How hard is it to not speak poorly of someone who's got entirely obnoxious political views <laughs> or not speak obnoxiously of somebody who at that council meeting or that PAC meeting or that church business meeting spoke against your point of view? Or how hard is it to not speak poorly of those who are on the margins of society that everybody speaks poorly of? See, kindness is meant to be expressed to those that we would quote view as undeserving. And the fact of the matter is, all of us are undeserving. Kindness sees the enemy and does good toward them. It sees the undeserving and extends to them what they do not deserve, because that's how the Lord has treated us. Now, Dan Kim treated me very kindly this morning, because I sent him a video clip late last night and said, could we insert this this morning? Um, so he kindly inserted it. So I'm just going to click on it. Uh, this is a, a CBS national news report that I spotted a few years back. It's actually from 2011. It's an absolutely remarkable story. So listen in. We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20, and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, 
invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close. They are close. Clearly. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Why? Because you're children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Wow, if Mary Johnson, in the power of the Spirit, could extend kindness to someone so undeserving as the man who killed her son. Don't you think the Spirit can strengthen us to live more kindly to those around us? That's the first one, express kindness to the undeserving. We end tonight. The second one is expressing kindness contrary to our own default setting. Uh, Ephesians 4, uh, 31 to 32 gives the default that we so often fall into. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be kind, Paul says. And what does that look like? Well, what it looks like is getting rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice of every kind. The very things that tend to be uh, in our own right, and our own uh, humanity, tend to be our default settings. Whenever we get crossed by someone, whenever somebody offends us, whenever somebody uh, does something that uh, hurts us deeply. So contrary to our own default setting, in the power of the Spirit, be kind. Be kind. Because that's how the Lord has treated us in Christ Jesus. So follow his lead. Get in step with Jesus. So uh, we, uh, Sarah and I, watched uh, a movie this past week with our boys, uh, Trevor and Patrick. We'd seen it before. They hadn't. Uh, The movie is Jesus Revolution. Anybody seen that in the theaters? It's an absolutely remarkable movie. If you have not seen it, I urge you to see it. It is so good. It's available on Apple TV, uh, Prime Video. Um, I get a commission from mentioning that. Um, but uh, but it's, it's an amazing movie. What it's about is the, the Jesus movement that happened in the late 1960s, early 1970s, uh, in, starting in a little church uh, just south of Disneyland in uh, California, uh, in Costa Mesa, uh, a, a church that was pastored by a guy named Chuck Smith. And I was in high school at that point, and the... the um, revival that started there spread across the U.S. and up the coast and hit Vancouver. And I saw it happening as I was in high school. So the, the story is, again, it's absolutely remarkable. Uh, Chuck Smith is this very absolutely uh, prototypical square guy, and he preaches on Sunday mornings to a very small little group of people who also look just about as square as he does. And they're, they're all suit and tie, and it's a very sparse little group, and he preaches. And Chuck Smith does not like hippies. He doesn't like them, he doesn't trust them, he thinks they need to have a bath, and that's all the time of day he has for them. But he then encounters a hippie in his own home, brought there by his daughter. And the guy, whose name is Lonnie, has been radically converted to faith in Jesus when he was up in San Francisco. He's traveled down the coast, and he is sharing the good news of Jesus with anybody he can see. And Chuck, because Lonnie is a hippie and looks like it, doesn't like him, and doesn't trust him. And he asks him to just step outside. And then he kind of 
lights into his daughter. What's he doing here? Why did you invite him? What's going on? And the tension in the room is thick. And then his daughter goes and opens the door, and there's Lonnie standing there very peacefully. He says, there's such, there's such a good vibe in this place. He hasn't been hearing what's been going on inside. And the daughter invites him in, and Lonnie comes in, and there's Chuck standing in the middle of the, of the living room, just glaring. And Lonnie comes up to him and throws his arms right around him. Now, I was preparing for this sermon. I thought, what an illustration of kindness. Because Lonnie does not go with the default setting. I mean, how would you feel if somebody's glaring at you for who you are? I'd back off. He doesn't. He just embraces him. And it is the beginning of the transformation of Chuck Smith's life that led to this remarkable revival in that part of California that spread throughout North America. Kindness goes contrary to our default setting. And practically it means setting aside bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. You can extend the list yourself. Can you think of a time over the past several weeks where you just boiled up with irritation? Can you think of a time where bitterness or rage or anger or brawling or slander or malice filled your heart? And maybe your mouth? Maybe you're behind the wheel in your car? You thought nobody else was listening, but the Lord was understanding? Is any of the stuff that's in this list, that's our default setting, is any of it still lingering in your life? Because some of this stuff has a powerful grip, and it may seem entirely justified. But here's the moment then to step more closely in line with the Spirit and allow Him to work in us, uh, to allow His fruit to grow. And so I invite you to put into his hands the things you are feeling here and ask for the character of Jesus instead. Kindness. Kindness. And the third thing, and there's overlap in all of these, obviously. Expressing kindness involves uh, expressing it to the undeserving. Expressing kindness contrary to our own default setting. But thirdly, expressing kindness by forgiveness. Be kind and compassionate to one another, Paul said at the end of that last portion, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgiveness is an expression of kindness. In fact, it is a necessary expression. Paul says it again in Colossians 3, 12 to 13. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So are you hanging on to a wrong that someone committed against you this past week? A year ago? 20 years ago? Someone in your family? Someone in your workplace? Someone who used to be a friend? Someone in the church here. Because the fact is you cannot live the fruit of the Spirit if you hang on to unforgiveness. To live the fruit of the Spirit, you have to forgive. So I want to close then with another story. And this is a story that you may have heard before. It's a remarkable story. It's a story about a woman whose name is Corrie ten Boom. 
uh, Corey and her sister Betsy and their father, elderly man, uh, ran a watch shop in the suburb of Amsterdam uh, called Harlem. Uh, we and our family had the opportunity to go there about 10 years ago. And it's this very narrow little shop, and uh, it goes up to uh, a living room, goes up uh, to some bedrooms, goes up uh, to a further bedroom, which was Corey's bedroom. And during the Second World War, when uh, Holland was um, um, occupied by the Nazi forces, and they were beginning to ship Jews off to concentration camps, uh, the Ten Boom family decided that they would build a false wall at the back of Corey's bedroom, and they would use it as a hiding place for Jews. And they invited into their home a number of Jewish people, and they lived in the living room, and they had meals together in the dining room, but they were ready in case the, the Gestapo, the Nazis, came to the door uh, to take all their dishes, run up the stairs, get into that little hiding place, and stay safe. Well, the Jews stayed safe. But Corey and her sister Betsy and her dad got arrested. They got found out and they got shipped off to different concentration camps. The father died shortly thereafter. He, he couldn't take the stress of what he was being put through. Uh, Betsy and Corey got shipped off to a, a concentration camp called Ravensbrück, and Betsy was fairly frail, and she got sick, and they were mercilessly uh, beaten and uh, uh, forced to strip naked at points and walk in front of the guards, and they got very little food, and they got crammed in sleeping quarters with lice, and Betsy died. And shortly thereafter, Corey was released. As it turns out, she wasn't meant to be released, but God's hand was in it, and she got released, and then the war ended, and she became an evangelist, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with all who would listen. And she preached the gospel of forgiveness, of God's kindness extended to all of us. And so uh, shortly after the war in 1947, she was in Germany. She was in Munich, and she was preaching this gospel. And can you imagine going back to the very nation that had caused her so much misery and been responsible for the death of her sister and the death of her father? And there she was, and she was preaching the good news of the kindness of God and forgiveness. And at the end, she said in those days, uh, most people in Germany uh, didn't make eye contact. They just kind of had their heads down and walked out. But there was one man who came up the aisle toward her, and he was beaming, he had this brown overcoat on. And as he got closer, she recognized him. He was one of the guards from Ravensbrück. And he had been there when she and Betsy had been forced with all the other women to be stripped naked and to walk in front of them. And he came up to her, and she'd been preaching, and she'd said, when we confess our sins, God casts them into the deepest sea, and they're gone forever. And he came up to her beaming, and in front of her, he stuck out his hand, and he said, what a fine message, Fraulein. It's so good, as you have said, that God takes all our sin and casts it into the deepest sea. And then he said, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. He said, I was a guard there. It was clear he didn't recognize Corey. And then he said, but since that time, I've become a Christian. He said, I know that God has forgiven me all the cruelty that I, I did. He has extended his kindness and forgiveness to me. But it would be so good for me if I could hear forgiveness from you also. So will you forgive me? 
And Corey said that she'd been preaching the truth, but now she had to do it. And she felt this cold grip on her heart because here was a man who represented all the evil that had been done to her and to her family. But she knew that she was called to forgive. And so she said quietly in the, in, in the quiet of her own heart, she just cried out to God, Dear Jesus, help me. I can stick out my hand to his, but you need to give me the feeling. And she said, woodenly and mechanically, she just chose to lift her hand and stretch it out to this man's hand. And she said, as their hands gripped, it was, it was like this electric current went down her arm into her hands, and she felt the love of God for this man whom God himself had forgiven. It brought tears to her eyes, she said, and she looked him in the eye and she said, I forgive you. I forgive you with all my heart. That's kindness. The kindness of God to us that we extend to others. It's not easy. It's to the undeserving. It's contrary to our default setting. And so very, very often, it involves forgiveness, the necessary step. We need the power of the Spirit to do it. So could we join together in prayer now? And I invite you in God's presence to just close your eyes and and, uh, present yourself to him. And it may be that from the scripture this morning, you have been prompted by the Spirit uh, to set some things right that need to be set right. Uh, to uh, open yourself more to uh, his presence and his power to live out the fruit in your life. And this, this issue, this characteristic of kindness uh, needs to grow. And it may be that there are things that you need to uh, let go of, to forgive someone so that you can actually express kindness to them. And so I'm just going to say a brief prayer, and then we'll just be quiet, and I invite you to be in God's presence, and you speak to him from your heart. And so, dear Lord, we thank you for the wonder of your kindness expressed to us. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you have paid the price that we could experience your kindness. And now would you please, uh, in our minds, our hearts, our actions, our thinking, our behavior, Would you please grow kindness in us toward others?